You can buy books by my podcast guests and find other recommended arts and crafts techniques books by visiting uk.bookshop.org slash shop slash creativity found. Don't worry, I've popped a link in the show notes. Plus, by buying from my shop, you'll be supporting this show with a little bit of affiliate loveliness. Thank you. At that moment, I had this change in feeling between something that was just a very natural thing to do, you just, I'd never thought about it, to something that became, became an obligation. These people who have those moments of, of genius, they don't think about it. It happens. It's the flow. It's like, wow, my God, I could actually draw a portrait and it looked, it looked good. Hi. I'm Claire, founder of Open Stage Arts, Drama and Singing Classes for Adults. Lots of the adults who come to our classes and online events are looking for a creativity that has been put on the back burner during their sensible grown-up years. I have found this to be true among other creatives too, so I've decided to find out more about the painters, photographers, writers, printmakers, actors, crafters, teachers and more who have found or re-found their creativity later in life. For this episode, I'm speaking via Zoom to Rob Ballantyne, a pet portrait artist. Hi Rob, you have had a very recent return to creativity. What is it you do? Hi, yeah, I do pet portraits. I draw people's pets for them. Brilliant. Were you arty as a child and did you have a positive experience of arts subjects at school? Yes. Uh, yes and no and no and yes. Uh, when I was a kid, I drew quite a lot, I think. Um, I think as, as many or most children do. Uh, so, yeah, I loved it. It was just one of those things I, I did. But then I, I, I kind of remember this to, to this time when I would, was drawing something like an aeroplane or something and I went downstairs outside with my family, my parents were there, my grandparents, and I, I remember everyone saying, wow, amazing, wonderful, brilliant, as, as you kind of do to a child anyway. And then I think it was my mum, she said, or perhaps it was a kind of a, all of them, um, said, wow, that, that's, that's really good, you should do more. What was odd about it is, at that moment, I had this change in feeling between something that was just a very natural thing to do, you just, I'd never thought about it, to something that became became an obligation. And it wasn't that she, she turned it into, a, into it becoming an obligation, but something in me just moved from that can-do to should-do. And that's when my my art sort of changed, or my sort of motivation towards it changed um and then i went through school like most people i continued drawing uh you know was quite good at it went did art o level uh and then went on to do art a level and there were four of us who got our a's in our uh, uh, in our art o level uh then three of us myself and my two two best friends we went on to do the art a level and um yeah it sucked we didn't like it <laughs> in a nutshell uh so t- uh, we all left so all three of us just just dropped 
dropped it after about six six or eight months. Uh, we all left school, left art. We were destined to carry on, all of us, to go to 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 our varying uh, art schools. But no, we all left. Um, and for me, it was because it was boring. It was uninspiring. It didn't have that thing that that we had earlier that you just drew because it was fun to draw it was exciting it was creative it was wonderful it became that same thing i think that that my mother said you should do this you have to do this it became an obligation and when i think when something becomes an obligation it loses that that, that whole impetus that that whole reason why you do it in the first place so yeah that was that really that was the last time i drew oh so after not doing art A level, what did you do next? Uh, after not doing art A level, <laughs> I, I left school. I wanted to get into the, in, into the music industry. Um, I played guitar. I started learning by about fourteen, fifteen years old, and then, then got together with some friends and uh, uh, and I guess like anything at that sort of age, it's kind of cool and and you know loved it. We loved playing together as a band and and. Uh, I probably didn't hold out as much hope as a band as I did for for myself for being able to maybe finding other ways into, into the music industry just in case. Uh, so I tried to get into becoming a sound sound recording engineer, uh, but that was a little bit trickier than than I thought it would be. And um, I think I was a little bit put off back back then at the the thought after having read a book on it on starting off as being a tea boy. I was I was far far too good to be a tea boy, <laughs> uh, so I ended up uh, going back to school and studying, uh, uh, um, retaking my O level physics actually, and doing that so I could get that to get into uh, somehow in, in, into the music industry. But then ended up just just going into work, earning money, doing uh, apprenticeships and stuff like that in, in electronics companies, and then went into sales. And then around the age of 24, 25, um, I saw this article in a magazine which was uh, to join this place called Musicians Institute in London and it was to teach you how to be a guitar player, how to get into the music industry and that just that advert just jumped at me. Uh, so that's what I did. I, I gave up everything. I gave up a, a, a well-paid career and job and much to the disgust of everyone else and said no that's it I'm, I'm jacking it all in um you might think this is a pattern really but it wasn't <laughs> you know I, I left everything went to musicians institute in london and was taught by people like michael jackson's guitarist jennifer batten uh who's awesome and Jerry Rafferty, who did um, Song Baker Street, it was his guitarist uh, uh, who came on board. And it was just funny, actually. Well, one thing that, that he said that, that really did that did stick to me, uh, and also teachers, uh, uh, which was there are many musicians out there who 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 are good or, or are perhaps in the in, in the charts. The problem with with some of these people is is that. They don't understand their art. They don't understand why they doing, why they do what they do, or, or what causes that particular piece of the song to make it good, to make it excellent. And so, if you understand the, the structure of, of your art, the, the, whatever art that is, and you understand the technicalities of it, that's how you become creative. If you look. Look back at people like uh, Paul McCartney. That guy was a genius, and it wasn't necessarily just because he was good at his instrument. He knew his art. He knew his art 
amazingly. And most of the other musicians that I've followed and, and looked at back then, they, they are brilliant because they studied their techniques, they studied how to write music, they studied how to do that. And, 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 and that really stuck stuck with me and it really was about this know your art to become an artist and and i think that's what didn't happen at school uh, and that's why I, I i think i was uninspired i never learned how to draw they never taught me how to draw so you know when it came to do things like portraits you know my portrait of myself i looked like a monster and it's not really how you want to look. You know, you sort of look in the mirror and go, hey, yeah, that's me. I look kind of cool in sunlight. And when I when I got to draw myself, it was a self-portrait. It was, nah, nah, that, that's bad, man. That's just so bad. But my friend, now, he could draw portraits. He had that natural ability, but he didn't know how he did what he did, which is kind of interesting because at around that time of being in a music college, or, or just before that, actually, I came across this stuff called NLP, which is a psychology-based um, uh, learning. Uh, but its main premise is all about um, how you know what you know. It's about modelling people who are exceptional at a skill and understanding what causes that skill to happen in such a way that if you were to learn their patterns and their structure, you could replicate that skill as if you were them after some years. Uh, or rather, instead of taking you know, 10, 20 years to learn that, you could do it in a much, much, much shorter time. And that, that really interested me. Uh, and it, it, it all kind of started to come together and make sense. I then came across uh, a, a bit of a crossroads, actually. Do I become a rock star? Do I leave music college here and and become a rock star? Is, is that where I'm going to go? Or do I get into stuff called NLP? I thought the whole premise behind it was just amazing. It was awesome. And it was that that actually took took me in the end. Um, when I was in music college, I looked at a, a number of other musicians there and compared myself to them, as, as one does naturally anyway, between um, colleagues... And I thought they had a much, much better chance of becoming rock stars and, and, and making it in the music industry than I did. I love my music. I, I love playing guitar. It's, it, it's so personal to me. But there was something about this NLP stuff that, that really, really uh, hit home, home with me, which was how do you get to be like as good as somebody else? I think I've always, always striven, striven, Stroven, that's a, there's a few words in that one, for this, this sense of how do you get to be the best that you can be? And, you know, what, what, what is that? What does it look like? What, what is it? I don't know. I knew that uh, when I do things, I tend to push myself out beyond what I'm capable of, of doing, just to, I, I suppose, test myself. Uh, so that's what I ended up doing. I, I then left music college and uh, started to work with other people uh, into business and teach this, this psychology stuff um, uh, as an associate trainer and teacher. Uh, so I ended up doing that for a few years and then started up, started up my own business. I then was, was, was very fortunate. I, I met the co-creator of NLP and worked with him on a project in Australia with a, um, with a professor over there, which is studying uh, autistic savants. And so, you know, people like um, Rain Man and um, this other kid, actually a couple of them were, were artists, you know, the, the, the savants that would 
that was uh, at the age of seven or eight draw phenomenal pictures. And this guy's story, Alan Snyder, was was about the fact that the difference between savants and us primarily is that we 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 learn language and language interrupts this this flow of, from our what he calls the, the the higher brain processing unit uh, and, and language does it because we start naming things we say this is a table this is a chair this is a ceiling this is a computer this is my name this is who i am and by by naming things you you solidify it in time Whereas what happens with with the, it seems with the autistic savants is by not having this ability to have this command of naming things in the way that we do, they have this this direct access to to our unconscious that allows them to see more and experience more than the thing that we see. So if you if you imagine that that saying, uh, one person's milestone is another person's seat looking at the same object but experiencing it differently but the savants seem to experience these things in more ways than what we do because we partitioned the way that we we experience things through language so david's stuff was all about well how can you and i have access to the same kind of ability that autistic savants have and my and John's uh, interest was, well, how can we understand what David's doing but link it back to what we do through NLP, which is we know that we can model people and we can do this, but is he doing something different? So we, it's kind of like, you know, how can we kind of pull these two things together? And um, uh, we, we we met him and we, we had this, this whole long conversation about it. And he got into this because... When people have have brain operations, uh, they they're asked if they can experiment experiment on them during them because it's the only time uh, they get to have someone in an operation who's conscious, so that they can do an experiment and find out what happens on the brain because there's no nerve endings, he doesn't feel anything, and try things out, and 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 get feedback immediately, immediately from it. And what they discovered is that. Uh, when it when they stimulated uh, certain parts of the brain which produces language, then some of these patients were able to count prime numbers. Now, prime numbers is is uh, uh, what is considered a genius ability that autistic savants have. So, a prime number after I think about five or six of them, you're into into your millions already. Anyway, and so this is this is what Alan Alan discovered, and he found that um, by repressing people's ability to speak that they were able to get access to this higher brain function and so his study was all about this so he's able to take normal people put it put this um like head headset on, on them and they were uh, people who said they could, couldn't even draw stick figures were then able to draw really quite good pictures actually and solve mathematical problems and do uh, listen to pieces of music and replay replay them back who'd never played a piano before so this this got really really interesting, and John and I were like, "Wow, this is kind of cool." But we do this as well with NLP. So what what's the difference? Well, ours was more about. Well, I say ours because obviously he's a co-creator. I mean, he did this back in the nineteen seventies, and uh, was was more about. Well, how can we understand what he's doing? Because of course you can't go around with a headset on everywhere just to become an artist. And one of the things that that we 
we really agreed on was this whole notion of um, reducing your ability to, to, to produce language, to, to have this high-performing state. So it's very state-oriented. Now, when you go back to something like being a musician or an artist or a dancer, these people who have those moments of, of genius, they don't think about it. It happens. It's the flow. And so, yeah, really, really quite very interesting. And that was about the point that I started to, 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 run, to run my own business, to, to teach this whole stuff called NLP to other people so that they could use it in business for their own personal and professional development. I still did it uh, back then. I still kind of had it as a, yeah, I'd like to do it someday, but, but it, I was into this. creativityfound.co.uk is the place to go to find workshops, courses, supplies, kits and books to help you get creative. So if you're looking for your own Creativity Found experience, go have a browse to see what's on offer. And if you can help adults to find their new creative passion with your classes, online offerings or kits, visit creativityfound.co.uk slash join us to become a member of our brilliant promotional and networking collective. There's a handy link in the show notes. Why, why and how did you start putting pen to paper again? Yeah, good question. Um, it was after my daughter was born. Uh, I, I, I think I wanted to draw her. Uh, I, we had a photo of her, and I, I thought that's beautiful. You know, I'd love to love to be able to draw that. But then I looked at it and went, I can't draw portraits. I'm rubbish at them. She'd look like a monster. Uh, so I, I couldn't do it. And then, and then one day, I came across an article about Leonardo da Vinci, and. It showed him, or a picture of him, a drawing of him, using uh, a grid to draw with. And I'm like, what? What's all that about? And the idea behind the grid is you then take a picture, then you draw a grid, and then you can kind of copy that picture using a grid that that um, recreates it from one picture to, to another. And I thought, well, this actually kind of makes sense. Um, I might actually be able to draw a portrait. So... I gave it a go. And, yeah, it worked. It's like, wow, my God, I could actually draw a portrait and it looked it looked good. I was really pleased with it. You know, very pleased. Never done hair before. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was really good. Uh, then I thought, after, well, look, if it's good enough for Da Vinci. So I drew her, then then I did a few more pictures and kept using this grid method and thought, you know, this is good. I, now I can actually start to learn how to draw. But, but of course, as, as you're doing it, you know, there's always that part of you thinks, isn't this just cheating a bit? You know, even though, yeah, yeah, Da Vinci did it. But, you know, it wasn't just him either. You know, loads of other great artists used it. They used it for, for taking small drawings and making them much, much bigger to make, you know, huge wall drawings. And you can still see some, actually, at the, at the, at the V&A. So then I, I had an opportunity, well, I had an opportunity, it sounds really bad actually, my, my father passed away um, and I, I think at this point I wanted to do something really serious as, and you know, as, as kind of like, a, not a monument, but maybe something like that, but, but to give it to my mum. So I got the, got the old grid out and put it on a, on a big A2, A2, A3 sheet of paper and uh, spent 
40-odd hours, 50-odd hours drawing him. Uh, so I, and I, I really wanted to make this the best that I possibly could. Um, and it was, it was lovely. It was really, really cathartic, um, you know, to be able to draw someone that obviously you care about and who passed away. And, and I think that's the first time I, I had really had this sense of connection at another level that you don't get um, from just drawing something. That when you really do pay attention to, to that subject, how much you learn about them at some level i don't know what that is but you just have a deeper sense of connection and it was it was yeah it was a beautiful thing to do and then i thought then after that i wanted to do a big piece for myself so i, I took a, a lord of the rings picture that i've always always wanted uh, that, that i've loved from the films which is the riders uh, the, the ring raids crossing the ford uh, into rivendell and i thought wow if i could if i could do that you know then i could have this kind of artwork at home, you know, uh, so I set I set myself the task of doing that, and I started that on on an A2 sheet of paper, so a big piece. Well, big for me it was anyway, uh, pencil drawing, and I got about three quarters of the way through the first first picture of the horse, and and uh, realised that I wasn't good enough to finish it. Uh, so I'd, I'd reached the level of my own technical capability of what I was able to do. I couldn't get the shades, the shadows, the lightness. That you know, I, I was trying to do things that wouldn't work. You know, how do you draw white? You know, I didn't understand that because I'd never been taught that at school. So it's like, well, where can I learn? Hey, you know what? We're so lucky nowadays. We have YouTube. You know, it's 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 amazing, really. It, it it is, and so I I went off there, and my search took me far and wide to, you know, so many different artists, and it was it was difficult though because to find the, the things that I needed to find, I, I had to go to so many different places. It wasn't like, well, here's one person teaches you the whole thing. Actually, there were some, but I was just always just trying to find the bits bits that I needed. Uh, so. That, that was my journey, really, you know, learning the tiny bits from people. It, it was really just small bits. It could just be how to draw a small bit of fur, how to draw um, a moustache, and how to get that white on there, you know, the different techniques, and, and what kind of technique that I wanted to use that was going to work well. And in, in the end, some of it even came down to a, a, as much as materials, you know. Not having the right materials makes such a huge difference. You know, I was drawing on... on um, or some things on on copy paper it's rubbish really you know you've got to have good paper and you've got to have have good pencils so these things do make a difference and you know have have good rubbers you know the uh, uh the multiple rub rubbers and things like that yeah yeah your pet portraits that has taken off really quickly hasn't it how did that happen yeah, that that was that was weird. Uh, that, that, I mean, that really was uh, um, completely out, out of the blue, unexpected. Uh, so lockdown happened, and a, a friend of my wife's uh, his his dog had passed away, and it was his it was his best friend. He ran his own business. He would travel around Europe everywhere with his dog. Uh, so it was he was his best buddy. He was hurting a big time. And my wife said, look, you've drawn our dog. Um, why don't you draw his? Maybe maybe that'll, you know, help him. Be, be something good for him. So I said, yeah, yeah, why not? You know. So I did. So I drew his dog. 
Um, that was a learning challenge as well. Oh my God, I'm drawing fur now. <laughs> yeah, I, I did that and we, we sent it off to him and uh, and it helped a lot. And then he he posted it up on his social media and then loads of other people saying, oh my God, it's amazing, wow, can you draw my pet? And I'm like, uh, um, okay, uh, fine. And then my wife said, look, you know, obviously you're getting quite a, quite a few people drawing it, so, you know, it's time, so you ever thought about you know, charging for it so okay so people said look how much would you charge so so that's what i started with and started drawing other people's pets and then uh, as i drew them i then posted some of them on social media and then it, it just it just took off you know crazy people said love it love it and they just kept coming back and saying how much how much can you pm me your price price please and so, you know, today I, I, I can put it up somewhere and get 700-odd likes and, and stuff. It's, it's just it's crazy. That's brilliant. What techniques and processes work well for you uh, when portraying pets in particular? I think one of the main things for me is... Actually, I, I can tell you one directly, uh, which happened yesterday. Yesterday was the first time I drew something, or the day before, actually, the day before I started it, and and I ended up throwing it away. So I've never done that before. So in eight months, like, everything had always been, I'd drawn it, worked through a lot of challenges. Don't get me wrong, every every pet portrait is a challenge. There's not one that I can do say, yeah, that was a breeze, that was easy. There's, there's always a challenge in it. But this one was a massive challenge, and, and I, I, I just said, I can't do it. Uh, I'm absolutely struggling with this one. I cannot get the light. It's so fine. Because of the, the, the style that I draw in, I draw in a very sort of highly detailed um, manner. Um, not because I want photorealism, but I just like that kind of detail in a drawing. I kind of want to really sort of pull out that character. And the, the, the lighting was just all over the place. It was just, I looked and went, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And I, I struggled. So I, I didn't do anything. I, I stopped. I picked up my, my Xbox, put on a game and played that all day. And just sat there, just trying to think it through. What do I need to do? How am I going to go about this? And I think that's the first time I, I probably spent a long time really cogitating on what am I going to do and how am I going to go about this. And one of the things I did was actually choose the right paper. Uh, it wasn't that I'd chosen the wrong paper. It's the wrong paper colour. I went for a buff yellow background and uh, it just wasn't working. So I went for a grey and... Yeah, I'm so over the moon with it. You know, it is it's so making just a simple choice like that can make a huge difference. And I think patience is 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 the other one. I, I can sometimes get a little bit impatient, and it's not that I want to finish it, but it's kind of like I, I get ah, I just want to do this bit here. And sometimes I I need to sit back, and I think as much of working doing art is more about managing your own personal and emotional state than is than it is your technical ability to be able to do something and you know if if you can't manage your state then you probably can't manage manage your drawing and and this is probably the hardest thing to manage to be honest with you well for me it is I'm not saying it is for for everybody else and so so other techniques is is really learning about light, uh, really understanding the, the way that light hits something and, and, and the way that you want to create um, the shadows and dark and really get that form of something. Uh, and, 
and the way that you can use color to sort of build that up, you know, it, it's so easy to go, oh, it's a black and white dog. You know, oh, it's, it's, it's black fur. But when you really, really pay pay attention and close to it, it's not. You know, you've got magenta in there, auburn, you've, you've got burgundy, you've got um, browns in there. And you can pull up all these so many different colors. And that's what I found, found with this dog yesterday. There were so many different colors of one range. It was like, how am I going to draw them? Because you're going like, you know, this color there, then that color, then this color, a different one, and then another one, and another one, all in like, a space of about an inch. And going, oh my God, that's... If I had, if I, if I had a month to, to do it, I could probably do it, but I don't. Uh, so there is a time limit in, in which you have to do something, you know, for for what it is that you do. Well, speaking about that business side of it, well, there's two things really. Are you concerned that having the commissions and being successful as you are with your commissions, that that may mean the quality of your work lessons? or that you lose the passion for and the enjoyment of the drawing? Yeah, I think, I think it's a great question. And I think, I think you have to ask yourself you know, carefully, um, what is it that you get out from it? And if it's just the drawing for drawing's sake, and you're doing it just to get paid, then, then it's a job, you know? And then it's a job like any other job that you go to. And it's all about the pay packet at the end of the day. Uh, if it's something more than that, then then it's not a job. It's something because you're interested in it, because you have a passion for it, because you're excited by it, because you think about it at night time. You know, when you wake up, you're thinking about, well, how can I do this one? Or, you know, what's different about this? Why do I enjoy doing it? You know, I, I, I love... For me, when, when I did my, my coaching and training... The most enjoyable thing, aspect of that was helping people change. And it was that moment of when you coach someone who has had a, this intractable problem where they've suffered in pain for so long and then you help them and, and it's gone. And that, that change, that moment of being there with someone where, where that change happens is, is something that you can't describe you have this really deep sense of connection and, and, and being with that person. And it's a bit like this as well, is that when you hand this portrait over to someone and you get them to see it or you get to hear what they say about it, it's a very similar quality that, you know, in some way at work, I help people have happier lives at work. Here I help people have happier lives at home, you know. And it, it, it's just a different way of achieving that same kind of outcome. It's, you know, so, so for me, drawing isn't about drawing. It's you know, how do I help, how, how do I help people have a better life or enjoy what they have in their life already? And to be fair, you know, at the moment with, with what's going on, if you can just give a little bit of a smile to someone's face, then, then that's, that's, that's even the smallest thing that you could do is a good thing. Yeah. I wanted to go back just briefly. You were talking about the colours and the very many colours that you, you see in fur, for example. And you you started with drawing, but you have introduced colour and um, you use pastels. How did you get to that decision? Yeah, yeah. I I knew I was going to go into, go into colour at some point, but I didn't know when or, or how. I, I love black and white. I love graphite. I, I think... I think they're two different things. I, I, what I love about graphite is is the moodiness you, that you get from it. It, it. it has a real 
moody mood that you can't get with colour. Black and white photographs, I think, you know, when we see them, we all get, somehow get really connected to it at this sort of deep visceral sense. Um, whereas colour tends to be, I think, more... We see something and go, oh, that's nice, that's amazing, it's wonderful. But does it really have the same thing that black and white does? So they're two different mediums, and they each have, have their own place. So colour, I knew that it was something that I was, I was going, to, going to do at some point. At school, I used to paint. Never did oils, it was acrylics back then. Never did watercolours, it was just acrylics. Um, so I knew at some point I would do paint, but I didn't want to do that yet. I tried painting a couple of years ago, uh, something for my daughter, and yeah, it, that turned out to be a monster. So <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of monsters. Yeah, it was kind of a funny experience, actually, because uh, I, I was going to draw uh, a paint for her, a picture from um, How to Train a Dragon. It's a picture of, a dra of the dragons. And I really had in my head, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> Not a problem. I used to be quite good at school doing kind of fantasy stuff. Let's whip out the old paintbrush and the acrylic paint and off we go. And uh, no, no, it failed. <laughs> so I, 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 I lost my, my confidence as quickly as I did my ego. And uh, or, and and so, pa uh, so pastel pencils became a, a possible choice between that and and coloured pencils uh, as a way to go. Um, I tried colour pencils, and it just didn't work because you can't put put light on dark. Uh, and I thought you could. I, uh, I had no no experience of it, so I was trying to do light on dark, and it just failed miserably. So that went. And then I saw someone else doing some, and went oh. You can do that on, on on there with pencils, pastel pencils. Well, that's, that's interesting. Maybe I'll give that a go. So before I did it for, for, for anybody else, I chose one of our pets, uh, Ripley, who had passed away a few years ago. But I had this wonderful picture of him as a puppy and, uh, and, and tested it out on him. And wow, I was absolutely gobs gobsmacked with the result. It was amazing. I'm not saying I was amazing. I said it was amazing. It's like, wow, it was so much easier than I thought it would be. Uh, and it really came out, you know, wonderfully so i thought well okay if i can do it for us let's let's go on to other people and and i started offering that and yeah it's, it's been crazy people love it you're your full-on creative return has all happened quite quickly what are your plans for the future now that this is in your life plans for the future uh short term it's it's just about building this this side, side of the business up uh helping people out doing their portraits um doing that I, I think it's important to have a stable income so it's, it's about building that stability having the marketing out there so so it, it becomes stable i can see three four five months in advance you know where the income's coming obviously being self-employed you are your marketing person you're you're the accounts you're the salesperson you know you're the website developer and builder you know all this kind of stuff and so that takes up a, up a lot of time, you know. Um, being an artist isn't about or doing art; it's about being being a business person as much as it is about that. So it's about having a, a stable business. Once I have a sense of that, of having four six months, uh, um, you know, commissions in advance, something like that, then I, I may look to get into teaching uh, what it is that I've learned. And I think for me. 
my interest, going back earlier to, to this whole thing about you know modeling people who are exceptional at what they do, is when I was realized I needed to upskill myself quickly. You know, when people say, Can you draw my dog? Can you draw my cat? Can you draw my horse? Is, is I'm going, Yeah, I can, but hell, how, how am I going to do that? You know, so I, I had to learn very, very, very quickly how to be good very quickly because people were paying me for it. Someone pays you for it you do the best you can and and so yeah if, if i can't do something i need to go go and find out how and my ability my skill of having learned modeling allowed me to go and watch other artists and just find out what it is that they're doing at this kind of unconscious level the way that they're drawing some of the fine moves because that's how they do what they do even though they're saying something differently i'm watching what they're doing and trying, trying to pick up on what they're doing rather than what it is that it is that they say that they're doing one of the things that i found out is is, is a, a perfect little sweet spot for finding out what people do is if you can't get to speak to them if you can't um, hear them is you look at where where they start their drawing off and where before they get to all the top layers all the detail it's all the underneath layers that tells you how they make their drawing up. It's much harder to see it once you've got the completed drawing. If you go down a few layers and watch how they start early on, you kind of you can start to re-engineer how they're doing some of the stuff, and that and that's what I was doing. So, so moving back to your question, is maybe building out out some courses or things like that for other people to say, hey, I'd love to draw. I love to draw pets. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything out there yet that's that, that teaches specifically, you know, how to how to really get someone who can't draw and learn to draw in a short space of time, um, etc. I don't know, maybe there is, I, but I haven't found it. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, last one then. How can people contact and connect with you? Uh, I have my website, Facebook page. They're the two easiest ways, uh, um, or Instagram. So Instagram and Facebook is Rob Ballantine Art. Uh, just hit those up and you can get in contact with me that way or my website is just robballantine.com brilliant perfect thank you very much rob you're welcome well thank you very much for inviting me to doing this this has been wonderful you know to to share this story and uh yeah thank you creativity found is an open stage arts production if you're listening on apple podcasts please feel free to subscribe, rate and review. If you would like to help fund future episodes, you can buy us a coffee. That's K-O-F-I, the online platform that helps creators receive financial support from fans of their work. Visit ko-fi.com slash creativityfoundpodcast. If you have found your creativity as an adult and would like to talk to me for future podcasts, drop me a line at claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, at openstagearts.co.uk. On Instagram or Facebook, follow at Creativity Found Podcast, where you'll find photos of our contributors' artworks and be kept abreast of what we're up to.